Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk Point, Editor-in-Chief. You know, our economy stagnated in the last quarter of 2018. The Bank of Canada has decided not to raise interest rates, but still, probably on the surface, there aren't any large worrisome issues that are the apparent in, in the immediate future. The British Columbian economy, for instance, is expected to lead the country again uh, this year. That being said, there are some signs of trouble, perhaps a little bit under the surface and in the mix. Consumer delinquencies have started to turn higher, as have bankruptcies. We're carrying nearly $2 trillion in consumer debt in this country, and it's a growing number. What might this mean for the country? Now, the Equifax firm worldwide is a leading analyst of our situation with credit and debt, and its latest report is the focus of our discussion today with Bill Johnston. He's Vice President of Data and Analytics at Equifax Canada. He joins me now in conversation. Good to have you with us today, Bill. Glad to be with you. Uh, act, act a little bit like an art critic here, if you can, to start off. How, how do we summarize what we're looking at right now in the way of debt and delinquency? It, it's been a situation where, to date, you know, there's lots of hand-wringing about it, um, but We've handled it really well. I mean, so delinquency, which is the percentage of debt that's being, you know, not getting paid back, um, has been going down, and it's been going down very inconsistently for a while. But mm-hmm. we started to see little cracks, little things that started to make us wonder, you know, when is this going to start to change? The good news, we're actually at very, very low levels of delinquency, but we are starting to see some strain on consumers who've been carrying this debt for a while. What are the most worrying signs for someone like you who analyzes this? So we always try to see things that will tell us what we think is going to come. And so one of the key measures that we use is the amount of credit card balances that get paid off every month. I mean, everyone tells their friends that I pay my credit card balance in full every month, but, you know, lots of people don't. And so we track that. It's a very important gauge of, you know, are people having trouble from a cash flow perspective? Because if, if I start to get to a situation where I can't pay in full, maybe I'm having some challenges with cash flow. That was one of the early indicators we start we saw that start to change in around the just after the very first interest rate increase, um, and it sort of went down and it's leveled off, which is good news, but it's leveled off at a much lower level, which is our that was the first indicator for us that maybe consumers aren't in as good a shape as some of the headline numbers are showing. Yeah, that was really our first warning and one of the ones we've been watching very closely. So, how much of this is recent, and and how much has been really built up? over a decade of relatively low interest rates where, where people haven't fussed as much about carrying debt? It is a bit of a buildup. So the, the good news is when we look at new credit volumes, so people going out and getting new car loans and new credit cards, that, that actually has been relatively, relatively tame the last mm-hmm. little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but things like home equity lines of credit, which we think is one of the concerns, um, car loans where you were getting 84 months and 96 month terms with 0% interest, you know, that's just where you start to take accumulating debt that's going to take a while to pay back. So if I have a $75,000 home equity line of credit, I can't decide generally tomorrow that I'm going to pay that off and, and get rid of it. It's going to take me time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that builds up. And so home equity lines in particular are generally variable rates. So that means every time the bank can change their interest rate, my monthly payment on that home equity line goes up. So it's very hard to manage that down quickly. So now all of a sudden those monthly payments start to change because I've built that big balance, you know, 75000 or 
in the case of British Columbia, where it's typically over $80,000 on a home equity line, yeah, that takes time. And so that takes time to build up. And now you're sitting on it. My interest rates just went up. Um, and and your, your situation just changes and it can change fairly quickly. Yeah. Are you noticing behavioral shifts among consumers? The good behavioral change we're seeing is we're not seeing as much new credit growth. So even, you know, you've probably seen new car sales have been down lately, um, or at least slowing down from a very, very strong pace. Um, so we're starting to see people not accumulating as much debt, um, knowing that they're, they're kind of coming into this challenging. We see some smart decisions in some ways. And so in the auto sector, for example, there's been a big shift from, from loans to leases because, you know, dealers could offer you 84, 96 month loan that would make a, a, a monthly payment look like a, a low lease payment. Um, and now that they can't do that, people are making, at least making the adjustments to get affordability. Yeah. Um, and those are the, the, the positive signs is that we're starting to see that new accumulation of debt slow down. Yeah. Although with a lease, you know, you're, you're really only getting essentially a portion of the car for a period of time. You're almost into like a permanent cycle of debt in, in having a car. You are. And that's why, you know, we had, we had a blog report a couple of weeks ago that, that sort of addressed that issue that it sounds like a great idea and it, it is a good idea for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not always the best idea, but at least people aren't just going out to take on that car loan, even though the monthly payment's going to be too high. So it is a little bit of a good and a bad situation. You know, you should be lose, using leasing when it makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is, it is one to watch out for, too. And it is one of our cautious. Actually, one of the things that we are cautious about is some of the conditions in the auto sector in terms of their delinquencies been going up mm-hmm. uh, the past three quarters as well. Um, and there is a shift from loan to lease that, that makes us a little bit worried that people don't fully understand that you do sort of get into that situation where I never have a fully paid off car that I can live that let loan free if I, if I had to. Yeah. I think we're all familiar with the term junior delinquency, uh, but, uh, but your data indicates there's actually three consecutive quarters of rising senior delinquency. Given that we're talking about people largely outside of their career earning years, what, what problem might that create? The challenge is when your situation changes, you know, typically when you're in a fixed income situation. And so something like home equity line, you know, home, home equity debt, which is often geared towards, you know, older borrowers, senior borrowers who have that equity in their home, you start to build that up. You use that to make some thing, you know, make some purchases you need. Once that interest rate starts to go up, you know, you're not as easily flexed as you could be, you know, if you had an income and you can move some things around. So we, when we sort of see some of the debt, and so when we look at the 65 plus in particular, if I look at just their non-mortgage debt nationally, 55% of that are in lines of credit, which typically are variable rate. And yeah. so, you know, as these interest rates have gone up and you've had five rate changes so far, I mean, that starts to accumulate for them. And when you don't have the same sort of flexibility you may have, you know, in your in your key year earning years, um, that's really where we start to see some strain. Yeah. Um, a number that jumped out for me as well in your data was the 4.3% rise in year-over-year debt for those 46 to 55 years old. Is that is that common that you see that kind of jump? It has been. So we've sort of been in the 3 4% growth rate in average debt for, for a fairly good cycle now. So it's not overboard, and, and it is a key borrowing age. The, the one interesting thing that we found, and we did a survey, it's a little dated, it was about two years ago, but some recent updates tell us it's the same trend, is the sort of 46 to 55, even the 55 to 65 group, 
have some of the greatest concerns about their debt situation. So it's, it's interesting that they're recognizing that they're growing it, you know, maybe at a pace that they're not even comfortable with. But it's been in line with sort of traditional behaviors that we've seen in the last mm. little while. Mm. Is there, do you think, a, almost a, a generational shift that's happened here where credit now is, I mean, there's so much awareness about, about credit and debt, but there is also just so many ways to get credit now. It does become generational. And so, you know, you talk to people before our generation, mm-hmm. you know, they were used to 21% mortgage rates. I mean, it, it that would be unheard of in yeah. the current generation. So it does become an easier way. And, and in many cases, you know, if you're going to give 0% for 84 months, I mean, it's, it's actually, I, I was an economist, it's a pretty simple decision. It's a rational decision. So yeah. in some ways it, it became, you know, somewhat easy to get. Um, and then you just don't realize how it builds up over time. And so I think from our perspective, it's making sure consumers are aware, you know, don't make a purchase that you, you know you can't afford because it's cheap money. It's really got to be a rational purchase decision. And then the credit just helps the process. Yeah. Mortgages, of course, are, are a very large element of our debt in Canada. And for the time being, there isn't any real kind of crash taking place in that sector. But are there troubling signs about the amount of mortgage debt we're holding in parts of the country? There's concerns about the amount. Um, it's been incredibly resilient, though. And so the delinquency rate from a mortgage perspective are, are very, very low. I, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we sometimes have to go to three decimal places just to sort of show it because it's, really? it, it's yeah. very, very low. And somewhere like BC and Ontario, I mean, it's less than 0.2% of the total total mortgage balances. So, you know, it's it's been very well managed. And I think the processes and, and the credit decisioning that, that the lenders have made have been have been very solid and very good decisions to make. Where we'll start to see is if that market starts to turn down, if we start to see more strain, if the economy goes, you know, goes from flat to to even potentially you know, slightly negative, you know, there is a lot of mortgage debt out there. It'll be interesting to see how long people can maintain it. But so far, we haven't actually seen it's the one market we really haven't seen anything that's too concerning, yeah. um, just beyond the dollar amounts being large. I was intrigued, of course, too, by by some of your data on cities. And particularly to see the significant delinquency rate that and the high debt loads that continue in a place like Fort McMurray, Alberta. The, the oil patch continues to have problems, doesn't it? It's, it has actually improved. So Alberta is really? a, a yeah. market that's been improving. It had been worse. Um, it's been improving, but it's sort of leveled off. And so as the unemployment rate had come down in Alberta, we started to see some, some recovery um, on the credit side. The one thing that's been very positive in Alberta is they didn't actually take on a lot of new debt. So up until, you know, I'd say sort of mid-2018, they, they, weren't, they weren't growing their average debt. It was actually very flat to slightly negative. So it, it was good that they weren't taking on more. Um, their delinquency rate definitely went up, started to recover fairly well, and it's leveled off, but it's definitely leveled off at a level much higher than they're accustomed to. Because yeah. um, Alberta, for, for a long time before the oil prices went down, was, was really a strength in the credit market. So. Um, we haven't seen a lot of extra weakening from, from the last little while, but um, the recovery has stalled to some degree. And I guess in Vancouver itself, uh, the non-mortgage debt load doesn't appear to be particularly huge. It's still pretty substantial, but but there's been a 3.5% rise in delinquency nevertheless. Is that because coupled with one's mortgage, the bills are just very high to pay? It's a little bit of... A couple of different factors. So one of them, is, it is coming off a very low level. So mm. 
that level of increase isn't too bad because the delinquency is really, really strong. Um, Vancouver has performed really well. You know, a lot of people have this perception that, you know, Vancouver and Toronto, where you had these really expensive housing markets that people put everything they had into those houses, and both those markets have held up very well. So what you are starting to see is it's turning a little bit. And the good news is BC's got a good solid economy, and that's really the key driver um, of where those delinquency rates are going to go. So we do think they're going to go a little bit higher uh, in Vancouver over 2019, um, but I don't think there'll be any kind of crisis level. It'll just start to creep a little bit higher because to date, we haven't seen too many signals um, in BC and Vancouver that, that there's a really heavy strain happening. Yeah. Um, one last area, and and you would be able to help me understand what's a good gauge in all of this. And uh, My recollection from the data is that I think we're carrying as a country on average about 23,000 and change in uh, non-mortgage debt. Um, is is there a an ideal figure here, like a, a safe figure, a, a figure that you don't get alarmed by? I don't know that there's one simple benchmark. And it, it, a couple of reasons for that is it, it also depends on the makeup. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if someone's carrying a lot of, of lines of credit, you know, that are variable rate in a time where interest rates are going up, you would want that that amount to be quite a bit lower because your monthly payments are going to escalate fairly quickly. If you're in a situation where it's, it's all fixed rate and stuff, you know, it's like a car loan that you know your payments every month and I don't have a lot of variability, you know, going a little bit higher is okay. Mm-hmm. It really depends on an individual situation, you know, and tying that to your own income and, and your own comfort level about what you can afford with the knowledge that if interest rates are going up, my situation is going to change. And just being able to account for that. I think the, the one challenge that we see is those people with variable rate long-term and, and home equity lines of credit that you don't have a lot of flexibility. Um, for, for many of those products, you're only, you're, your monthly payment is interest-only. So if I'm making interest-only payments on my home equity line of credit and interest rates go up, I have to pay more. There's no flexibility like I'd have maybe with a credit card. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, a sweet spot. I think we're probably getting up there when you combine both the, the you know, the, the, the mortgage debt and the, the non-mortgage debt together, we're probably getting to that point. Um, but it really comes down to affordability and monthly payments. And so that's really the key is the, the makeup and the, the mix that you have of your products is really what's important. Yeah. So if you had advice for the consumer, would it involve uh, trying to keep some predictability about what your payment schedule might be like and not leaving yourself susceptible to variations in interest rates? Exactly. So, you know, trying to avoid large variable rate products right now, mm-hmm. you know, staying in, in the guidelines that you have where you know you have flexibility that if rates go up a little bit, I'm okay. It's really being able to manage that because quite often that's, that's the, the key control that the consumer has is kind of how much I have and what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, once you start to get yourself into trouble, once you start to miss, start missing payments, you know, that's, that's going to affect you. And so the better you can do in controlling what you can control, and, and it, is, it really is about make sure you understand the variability that you could have in that debt should such situations like interest rates start to change. Yeah. Really interesting conversation, Bill. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Kirk. Have a good day. Bill Johnston is Vice President of Data and Analytics at Equifax Canada. I'm Kirk LaPointe at BIB. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time.